We're picking back up, as you know, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And here we pick back up here in verse 11 today in 1 Peter. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to open up a prayer and then we're going to read the scripture and then we'll go through it. Father, again, we thank you. Uh, what a blessing it is, Lord, that you are allowed and to be able to gather us together and you hear in your name and glorify and you worship you, not only in song, not only in prayer, that we can come boldly to you and just lay out all of our things that we need to, to speak to you about or to even intercede in for others and to minister to others in that way. But now, Lord, we can open up your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray you'll illuminate the word to us individually this morning and collectively as a whole, as a body of believers gathered here in this place, here and online, that you would just speak to our hearts so clearly and individually that we know without a question, we desire to hear from you. By your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11. I've titled it, Living Godly Lives. And we will see here as we read through this to the end of the chapter 2, how important it is we ponder on some of the things that the Spirit of God gave to Peter to give to the believers in these providences in Asia Minor. We see here, he says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief and suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you, are, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously." who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, 
that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, but whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Powerful verses that we have from the Lord today. If you remember, Peter's letter emphasizes here in this section and into the chapter 3 around one word, submission. (laughs) It's your favorite word, I know. Um, Submission in the life of a believer. We are called to living godly lives. We're not called to just be saved. We're called to be saved and live for him in godly lives. A changed life, from the old life into a new life. A new beginning, a new start, a new path. The path is narrow. You used to be on this wide path, and you could go any which, any direction and craziness as you want. But now you live for God, you're born again. Now you live and you follow him. Oh, this word submission is certainly not an easy topic in any circle, especially in the society of narcissists. A day of lawlessness that we see. Or the pursuit of personal selfish fulfillment. The lovers of themselves that we said we would see in the scriptures, we would see at the end times, people will become lovers of themselves. It's all about me. What do I get out of this? I don't feel like it. See, those things, those states of mind, those attitudes and behaviors will not allow you to be submissive to anybody. Because you believe you're in control. Or want control. You've actually fooled yourself to think you're in control when you're actually, the more you think about yourself, the more miserable you've become. Understand, Peter focused on this theme of submission to the life of a believer. We will see here today in verses 11 through 17 from a uh, citizen's perspective. We will see that in regards to the government. We will also see in verses 18 through 25 the submission regards to being a worker and how you're being about working in society as a civilian. Or a citizen, I should say. Lord willing, next week we're going to see in chapter 3, we're going to see submission in the, in the area of marriage relationship. And we will see also from the Christian assembly of believers together. Understand the word submission does not mean slavery or control. It's not what submission means. It but simply recognizes that of God's authority in our lives. God is in control of our lives and we submit because of that. Remember, God has established the home. God has established human government. God has established a the church body of, of, of an organization of coming together, an organism of coming together as, of his believers. And he has the absolute full right to tell you and I what we are to do and how those organizations are to run. 
Why? Because he, he developed them. He, does, he created those. And so as we live our lives, we seek in his word, by his spirit, how we are to run these homes. How we're to live within a home. How we're to work within this a human government. How are we to live and work within the church body? There's, there's ways God has very clearly in his scripture showed us how we're to do that. God wants each of us to exercise authority. Take responsibility. But before we can exercise authority, before we can exercise this responsibility as a human being, especially now as a godly uh, child of God, a believer, we have to must first understand, be under the authority of God. Anyone who takes responsibility and authority and is not under the authority of God, watch out. Watch out. Because now they become God in their minds and they feel like they can do and say whatever they want to to you. Be not, but just be wise of this. Peter in our text today will highlight motives for submitting to authority and living dedicated, obedient, godly lives. And we say here, right here in verse 11, he starts off by saying, Beloved, Peter is saying to you, Beloved, my brothers, my sisters, we're, we have a relationship. This is, I'm not talking to strangers here today. I'm talking to you, Beloved, the one I love so dearly. And many of these people he has never met, or he only knows up. Only what brings them together in this beloved state is because they share the same spirit. They, they serve the same God. They love the same Savior. And that's why he can say, Beloved. And that's why he can also say, I beg you. I beg you. It's like a brother and a sister. You see what's going on in their lives. You see what their decisions are making and going contrary to the word of God. And you're like, I love you and I beg you, please do not continue to live like that. Do not have that attitude. Do not have that behavior. Do not have, don't go down that path. And don't go back to the old life. How many times have you done that with someone you've, Love so dearly. You may not. You may have been begging to God, please, God, you know, send someone. If you're not going to use me in their life to help them to bring them to understanding, please, God, send someone that they will listen to. And He does so faithful, faithfully. He says, I beg you as sojourners. It means strangers. You're strangers in this world now as a believer. You were born in this world. You were in this world. You are a part of this world. Now as believers, you've been now set apart. You have been, re you've been, you've been saved. You've been set apart for God. You're now strangers in this world that you used to be so comfortable in. You're sojourners, we understand that. And you're pilgrims, you're just resident foreigners. You're just a foreigner who's here and you're on your destination to go home, which is in heaven. This is not your home anymore. This is not where you build your castles. This is not where you settle and say, this is all there is to life. No, as a believer, all of a sudden you realize this is not your home. This is a vacation gone bad, and you're ready to go home. You're ready to go to heaven. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to go to heaven. 
But he says here, out of a loving brother to his loving to a brother and to a sister that he loves, I understand you feel like strange in the world you live in. In the workplace you are, you seem so strange to everybody. Because you don't think the way they think. You don't behave the way they behave. You, don't, you used to, but you no longer do. And you feel so strange when you're in this group of people now. In your neighborhood and even in your own family. You just seem to be like a stranger to you, to them because you're just so different because God has changed you. But he says, abstain from fleshly lusts. Abstain. That didn't mean dabble. <laughs> Do you understand? That word in the Greek does not mean dabble. I'm just taking a little snippet. It's a little hors d'oeuvre moment. I'm not partaking in the full meal here, of course. Abstain means no, nada, nothing. Don't touchy. Why? Because this worldly lust, the things that this world will create in you, the, 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 the flesh is bad enough. The, 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 the sinful appetites of the sinful nature that is still dwells within this saved body. This flesh can still crave things, the appetites that you used to have that you now need to fight. But then you've got Satan and the demonic forces out there just messing with you. And then you've got worldliness that Satan and demonic forces are working with in this world that he owns and running for a short period of time. But that all is coming against you. And you have to understand, as Peter says here, which war against the soul. Your inner being. Who you are in the inner being. Not outwardly. That could be too. You could be shot at. You could be bombed at. And so many of us have in our, in our lives. But we're talking about the inner war, the spiritual warfare that is coming against you as a believer now. And it can get draining. But God says, I'm going to empower you to work through this. I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you through this. I saved you. I'm taking you home into heaven and embracing you in my arms. Do you not think I'm going to provide for you and take care of you and protect you and, and, get you and walk you through these difficult times? But Peter's saying, which you've got to get, you, you don't mess with the lust, the fleshly lust of these worldly things, these, these appetites that are in the past. Don't do it because it wars against your being, your mental being. Your spiritual being, your flesh, your physical being, it is a war against you. It wants to take you out and destroy you. War never is a peaceful war. Do you understand that? You have peace, you have war, then you have peace again. But in the middle of war, you don't have peace. One is trying to destroy the other. To control the other. And Peter's saying, don't allow your fleshly lust to control you. Verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, people are watching your life. Non-believers, 
the, 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 the Gentiles are watching your life because you declared you're a believer and they're watching your life and they're making a decision if your life has changed or not. But notice what Peter says here. He says it's honorable, it's, it's good, it's right, and it's, and it's, it's understanding from a non-believer's perspective. That's, they're like, that's interesting life you're living. You're not partaking of the fleshly lusts. You're, you seem to have this self-control that we never, uh, none of us do. As Christians, we must constantly remind ourselves we are, or who we are, and Peter did this here in verse 11. He says, we are God's dearly beloved children. Eight times in just 1st, 2nd Peter does he talk about the fact you are beloved. You are loved by God. Why does he love us? Because the Father loves us because of his Son, Jesus Christ. And this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, we see in 2 Peter. And because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we are accepted in the beloved, Ephesians 1.6. Because of our relationship as a Savior for Jesus Christ, our Father loves us. We are loved. We're considered the beloved. And if you are saved, and if you love me, the commandment says, keep my, I mean, the word says, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. He says here, Peter says, if you love me, just keep the commandments. Stay and abstain from all the fleshly lusts that are coming against you. Abstain from it. Fight it. It's a war. It's going to tear your soul apart. Like the patriarchs of old, we are temporary in this life traveling toward the heavenly city. We see that promise in Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. Peter understands this. The writer of this letter, he totally understands what you're going through because he lived it, did he not? Peter understands this fleshly lust and war against the soul. To be a Christian means to fight against the lust of the flesh, and the battle continues long as we live in this flesh. And there are sinful desires that war against us and want to defeat us. And we see that outline in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through about 25, 26. See, our real battle is not with people around us. We do not fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness of this world. So it's not our real battle with the people, but it's the passion within us is our battle. We have more trouble with self than any, within any other man you know. Ponder on that today. How you have these little squirrely fights in your head with yourself. I will, I won't, I won't, I will. The confusion gets tiresome, it does not not. So our struggle is not so much always on the outside, it's all, many times it's within the inside. 
And it's easy to see how the pursuit of fleshly lust can destroy the physical body, yes. But Peter reminds us that the fleshly lusts are warring against our soul, our inner being, and that we must take note of this and we cannot take a lightness about this. And it's a daily fight. It's something that's not a, a war that is one-time deal and it's over with. I got saved. I remember that day. Now I should, I should have a beautiful, bliss life and never have to worry about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life anymore. Well, that's not true. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you if, that, if that's your mindset. That's not true. You're still, while you're in this flesh of this body, until you get your new body, you're going to have war. The spirit will fight against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. This is what you're going to deal with. But because we're in Christ and Christ is in us, we have the ability, we have the upper edge. We know, we know how it plays out, we win. Because we win in Christ. But this is not a one-time war, this is a war campaign. And the enemy in the flesh has a camp, more campaign, and we can last for many years until we're taken home. We don't win one battle and the war is over. No, 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 no. It's a consistent warfare, and we must be wise, and we must be on guard. Why? Because our conduct what glorifies God is how we live our lives and how we play out these lives according as he leads us day by day. Christians were falsely accused of some incredible things back in the early days. Accused of crimes, of great crimes in the early church. Pagans said that communions that Christians took, ate the flesh and drank the blood of, of a baby and a cannibalism and all kinds of twisted things. They said Christians had these agape feasts and they would come together. They were having some kind of big, huge party. And it's just, oh, it's terrible. Well, don't get me wrong. We have some great agape feasts here. But we're not partying. The brownies bring out the joy in us. Have you had the croissants recently? <laughs> Uh, and those tea sandwiches will just, I mean, really. Anyone who was looking in would think we were drunkards or something. They would accuse us just like Jesus. <laughs> and because they no longer lived like the rest of society, they would consider these Christians as antisocial because they would not participate in the immoral entertainment that they used to be or what they, people still do. They said that Christians were atheists because they did not worship their idols that they worshipped. There's always going to be, and as we read the scripture there, if you take note there in verse 12, when they speak against you. It's not if they're going to speak against you. It's when they're going to speak against you. Just note it. And it's okay. It's right. God's with you. He'll never leave you. He'll empower you to deal with it. It's opportunities for you to now share the good news, the gospel with, the, with those who are lost. See, the amazing impact on the lost when a Christian combines a godly life 
with a loving witness is so powerful. Let me say it again. It's powerful in how God can work through your conduct when you take this, this moment where you combine a godly life and a loving witness to the lost. It's incredibly powerful. Peter encourages his leaders here to bear witness to the lost. How? By word and by deed. By the word of God and how you live your life. That is the testimony. That's as an ambassador. That is a representative of who Christ is. And that is what's powerful in reaching those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he says there at the very end of that verse, he says, and God will visit them or may save them right on the day of visitation. What is that day of visitation? Well, it probably references the ultimate meeting with God. Because you will meet with God. Either when, they go, when you go up to him or when they, he comes to meet with them. When Christ returns, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Everyone's going to see Jesus. Not everyone stays with Jesus. But I think the visitation, the day of visitation that Peter's speaking to, and he's mentioning here, is the time when God visits lost sinners and saves them by his grace. I believe as you and I live for God and represent him well in our conduct, we're not living worldly, fleshly lives. We represent him and speak about him and we take this love that we have for him and the love and the grace and the mercy upon his, our lives and the person you're talking to who is not saved and say, God has poured out his grace upon you if you would just accept him as the Lord and Savior and believe in who he is. And when that happens, that is the day of visitation and it can all teeter on your conduct in front of them I do believe we have that level of weight of responsibility that we should be representing Christ well and by the grace of God he might just use you to be a picture or a vessel used to bring others to Christ. Do you not want to be a great representation of your Savior? Of your Heavenly Father? Peter's, that's what Peter's saying to him. And he continues here in verse 13 through 17. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. For the Lord's sake. Now this is going to be hard for some of you. <laughs> what we're about to talk about, because we're talking about proper submission as a, as a citizen in this world, as a foreigner who lives here and who's a stranger in this world. Proper submission to a government as a citizen here in this world. It's going to struggle, it's, you're going to struggle with this. But look at here, he says, Peter says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the president or to the governors, as to those who are sent by you, it could be local representatives and a force, a police force, for the punishment of evildoers or for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. 
Did you see that? This is the will of God that we are submitting to the local government and national government that we live in. Everything we do should be the glory of the Lord and for the good of his kingdom. That you need to understand as we live our lives. Peter was clear to his point that Christians in society are representatives, we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ in this world. And how we interact with the government and government officials is very important in God's mind. As Christians, we should be good citizens, not bad citizens. We should be contributing, not taking. We should be submissive in the fact that we're following the understanding of the laws of the land. Representing and respecting of the positions that these people in these government positions obtained. We need to understand we have to respect the position. It may not be easy to respect the person in the positions. But the positions itself we need to respect. Because God formed human government. Peter wrote in the days of a Roman Empire who was looking to kill Christians. And he's writing it in during these times. They didn't have a democracy. They didn't have any papers drawn up in the, that was for God. No, everything they drew up was all for the emperor. For the leader of the empire, the Roman Empire. It wasn't for the people. They weren't friend of Christians in those days. Yet Peter still recognized the legitimate authority of the Roman government. Jesus even recognizing the laws of the, Rome, of the, of the government. There were some zealous Jews in those days that said, I refuse to... Pay any taxes to this government, and anything I'm going to do is it's just going to go for God, and that's it. Well, that's not what the scripture says. We're to obey the laws. The only challenges will be is when the laws are made that go against and go contrary to the word of God, that we do not obey. We see that clearly in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. But we don't go out there and overthrow the government and all these other crazy things. We're looking to live peaceable lives within this world until the Lord takes us home. And he says, Peter says here, he, he insisted that rulers that are sent by the government, by that, the, 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 the king, by the governors, by this, these are governments that they can send out to push back the evilness, back the evildoers, which is what the government is designed to do by God. Or they can come, and this would be nice if it was more like that, and they send people out to recognize all the good things that people are doing. And that happens. 
Our local representatives are known to go out and, and take pictures of rewards of people achieving good things and, and high school and college and other things around and good acts, of, deeds that people do it. And representatives of the government will go and take pictures and give them their little certificates and take their picture and congratulate you. Good job that you're doing because you're a good citizen of the, of the community. But God uses the governing authorities to put a check on man's sinful desires and tendencies. And that's what the government is designed to do. And that government is useful in the tool of resisting the effects of man's fallen nature. Paul wrote in Romans 13, It speaks to it in many, in many different ways, the fact that the greatest offense that the government can do to against the people is what? When they fail to push back evildoers within a society. We see it in the scripture, the warning, when the government stops pushing back evildoers within societies and lets them be evil and destroy things within a society, watch out. And even worse, the scripture warns us when the government literally, when the government literally rewards evildoers through their corruption. When you see these things in your society, which we clearly have seen over the last few years, you know how bad it is. But that doesn't stop us from still understanding the role and responsibility of the government and being submissive to the laws that do not go against the word of God. When you take the will of God in verse 15 and the servants of God in verse 16, and when you do something in the will of God and as a servants of God, then we are doing what? For the Lord's sake. We do it for the Lord's sake. It's not for our sake, it's for the Lord's sake. We're being obedient to what God's word calls us to do. And I love this last part in verse, the verse 17 there. The four things, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. So we're sitting here, we're supposed to be looking at the ordinance of man. We do it for the Lord's sake. We understand that the king, the governors, and those that they representatives that go out to push back evil, to praise those who are doing good, because it's the will of God and doing good, that you may put silence to the ignorance of foolish men because foolish men will always come because they just don't understand their loss they're in darkness of why we live for God what we're doing we want to represent well as citizens here in this land that we're waiting to go home to heaven but we're still dwelling here we want to put the ignorance of these foolish men to at bay because we live as good citizens we're not going against the government we're not going against society of the rest of the people we're living in a society that is good and it's right as we lead the Lord leads us because it will bring silence to them. They will stop, you know, foolishly speaking out of their mouths. But as, as free men, as free women as in, in Christ, let it yet not 
using liberty, not the fact that we're free in Christ. Don't use this liberty as some kind of a cloak, some kind of coat that you can wear and pretend you're something you're not. No, it's not to say I don't have to live in submission to the government because I now have a different coat of Jesus on. Yes, you live differently, but no, you still have to be submissive to the laws of the land. But it's also, it's not for a cloak for vice, to divisiveness or sin. But as bond servants of God, a willing vessel, a willing slave to serve God, how he calls us within the society that we are. And that will bring this honor to all people. We will honor all people. We'll see them all equal. We'll see them all in the eyes of God. They're all created by God. And that, and that takes care of a lot of issues that people would see people the fact that they were created by God and were all equal in the eyes of God if people would just understand that as Christians we should understand that there should not be a divisive issue we should also love the brotherhood we shouldn't be looking to vision with the brotherhood we should be loving one another and bonding and unity to serve God and to be a light and reach the law why because we fear God we awe God he is an awesome God we praise God we worship God and finally we honor the king we understand the authority we understand where God uses that, that, that perspective of role of, of government within. And we honor that position, that place, and why God has put that in place until he comes back and rules and reigns as our king, king of kings and lords of lords. Once you understand that, you live a much more peaceful and loving life because you don't struggle with the government and the news cycle. You don't struggle with it. Matter of fact, we want to reach more of the law enforcement. We want to reach out to our people who are making decisions for this land. We want to reach them out and share the good news and the gospel and the truths of God because we want their minds to change. We want their hearts to change. We want them saved. But we, you know, if they're saved, we want them to be in line with the biblical thinking and not worldly thinking because it will be good and right for society. And he's going to take you and plant you in these places, these government buildings and government positions and, and places and influence and neighborhoods so that you can share the truths of God so they would change these people's minds, especially if they go against the word of God. That's our role, my brothers and sisters. That's what we do. We're not going to take over the government and say, we'll make it a Christian government. This is not our home. We're going home. When Jesus comes back and, and establishes his kingdom, that's when we'll rule and reign with them. But we don't want to be in charge of this world. God's in charge. In verse 18, we see servants. Now he's speaking about the submission to, to our employers. As employees to employers, he says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Reverence, that's your employer. He's willing to allow you to work and get paid to do what you're doing. That's the way God is using to help you provide to put food on the table, a roof over your head and clothes on your back. Anyone who slanders their employer, you're a foolish Christian. God is using them to provide for you. Of 
But be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. He's saying, oh, you're going to love, oh, I have a greatest employer. Oh, I just love them because they let me do whatever I want to do and they really treat me well. And That's great. But you're also supposed to, even if they're harsh to you and they're not kind to you and they really seem to be rough with you at work, we're still supposed to be submissive, understanding the authority that they have because they're their employer. You're the employee. If you would just get that in your mind and stop struggling with the people that God is using to provide for you, you'd be so much better off. Verse 19, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief and suffering. Because our mind is so focused toward God and God has given us this job and God has called us to there, it's praiseworthy because we get to go there and even endure. He'll help us to endure the grief and the suffering that's wrongful. Yes, it's wrongful. They shouldn't be treating you like this. They should be kinder to you. They should be more uh, reasonable. They should be more. But that's not in their capability if they're not born again. But we're still supposed to do it. Why? Because it's praiseworthy. Because people are going to look and go, why aren't, you, why aren't you taking them and suing them? And why aren't you doing this? And sue, 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 sue. And you're like, it's my employer. They haven't broken the law. They haven't done this. They haven't done that. Yeah, they're not kind. They're not nice. They're not being nice. They're not allowing me to do this and this stuff. But this is where God has me. And I know God hasn't moved me. This is where he has me. I'm not going to be unsubmissive. I'm going to be submissive. He says this is what they need me to do. And it doesn't go against the word of God. And when you look at that, and you say, and people look and say, you're, you're, you're suffering, you're, 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 there's grief around all this, but it's still praiseworthy in God's eyes. Because you're doing what God's called you to do. Not everything is going to be rosy and perfect and simple for us. For what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? That's, that, there's nothing there. there. You, you screwed up. <laughs> you're messing up. You're doing all kinds of problems at work and now you're going to be punished and reprimanded and written up and you, you, you take that patiently and like that is supposed to bring honor and praise worthy to God? No. He says right here, he says, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So you're at work and you're doing fine. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. And they're still coming at you. They're still drilling at you. They're still causing you to suffer and long hours at work and the worst, the worst timing of your, of your shifts and constantly making it harder and harder and harder because they don't like you around because you seem to be a goody two-shoes and you don't, you don't go out and party like them. You don't talk like them. They make you, feel, you make them feel uncomfortable because you will not do the, the jokes and the dirty jokes and all the talk about all this nasty and worldly things and lustful things. You don't do that anymore. You make people very uncomfortable. And because they're uncomfortable, you're going to have them come against you. And God says here, even when you're doing good and you're suffering because you represent him so well and you're such a bright light and salt and darkness does not like light and they're coming against you, what? And you patiently endure? That is praiseworthy to God. 
That's praiseworthy to God. That's commendable to God. God sees you. Don't you think he can just lift you up and move you to another position if he wanted to? Do you not think he can remove that boss, that wicked boss, and bring you a good boss? You've been around like I have for many years in the business world. Even in the military and now in the civilian world, good bosses come and good bosses go. Bad bosses come and bad bosses go. But it didn't change who I am and who I serve. And I still submit to the position that I am supposed to be submissive to in that workplace. That doesn't change. But you may say, I'm the actual employer. I'm not the employee. But we've already talked about that. Until you're under the authority of the submission of God, you now have a responsibility as an employer. We have many other scriptures for you. <laughs> Boy, you want to be an employer? Think you get away with all this? Wait, wait, when we get to that part of the scripture. And we'll speak to you about that. So we're supposed to be, it's commendable to be God. To live a life patiently, trusting God that he is in control. Verses 21 through 25. For to this you were called. God called you to this. This is not something that you just fell into. But God called you to this because Christ also suffered for us. Why did you get called to sometimes have to suffer in the workplace? Suffer within the society that you work for as a Christian? Well, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. What are those steps? Look at these steps in verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. That's the example. He quoted from Isaiah 53, verse 9 right there, and verse 23. Who when he was reviled, when he was cursed out, when he was attacked, when he was criticized, when he was all of that, when they was coming against Jesus, did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him, committed himself to the Father who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He bore the sins on and in him on the cross that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, but whose stripes were you were healed for you were like sheep going astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls see we're not saved by following Christ's example that's not that's not how we're saved many people say just follow the example of Christ and you'll get saved no that's not true because each of us would stumble over verse 22. Because who did not sin? You wouldn't, wouldn't be able to do that. 
If you were using his sample that, of Jesus and that's how you're going to say, he was sinless. You're not sinless. So you wouldn't be able to do it. You would stumble over that. You would not be able to achieve that. So we're not saved by example. We're saved by a savior. Sinners need a savior and not an example. Once you're saved, then that person who is saved, we want to follow closely in Jesus' footsteps and imitate the example of Christ. The example of leading by example is after you're saved. Jesus is our example. And as someone who endured punishment unjustly, we must endure punishment that is unjust. When he, when he was reviled against, he was criticized and attacked and spit upon and everything else. He did not respond by doing like manner to them. And by that example, when you're criticized and spit upon and ridiculed and attacked, you do not respond. You silently Pray for their salvation. Pray for the change of heart of that individual. Take it, take that person to God and let God deal with it and let him be the judge righteously. Jesus did not revile in return, but in his sufferings he committed himself to the Father. Jesus proved that a person could be in the will of God and be greatly loved by God and still suffer unjustly so that false teaching that's out there in the quasi-religious realm of if you are suffering that must mean that you're not in the will of God is absolutely not true if you get sick you must not be in the will of God that is absolutely not true we see in the scripture what is true that the suffering of Jesus is clearly an example for us but is far more an example than we will ever have as he bore our sins as sins bearing substitute for our lives. Provided our healing by his stripes. Spiritually, but even physically. Because ultimately, we'll be completely healed physically, will we not? See, Peter reminds us that when Jesus died on the cross, we also died to sin. Our life is permanently changed by our identification with Jesus on the cross. As we come to the communion table today, we are reminded that we have died to sin and we live for Christ. Our identification of who Christ is. Personally. And how we are made free from our sin. Because of what Jesus has done. Paul speaks of it in Romans 6, does he not? He speaks to in 6 where he had died to sins in the sense that our debt of sin and guilt was paid by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We had a debt, a sin debt that we must pay for our lives personally. 
And Jesus said, I love you so much, I'm willing to go pay for that debt for you on that cross. Do you know you have a sin debt that had to be paid? You know how many people today do not know they have a sin debt? They know they have a visa debt. They know they have a mortgage debt and a car debt, and they, and they, and they mourn about all that. But the worst debt you, any man can have is a sin debt that you cannot pay. And because our Savior loves you, he was willing to go to the cross and pay for that debt of sin and guilt that is resting upon your shoulder today if you're not a, not a believer. And when we died to sin with Jesus on the cross, it means that he paid our debts complete and full. Let me ask you a question. If you looked at a bill and you see that you had a debt that you couldn't pay and you look going, I'm not going to be able to pay that debt. Do you see how much money I owe? How did that happen? How could that have happened? It's amazing how we say that, don't we? So, is someone using my credit card? I didn't do that, did I? You did. And you look at the debt and you say, I cannot pay that debt. I am in trouble. The next day, you're full of worry. The next day, you lift up and you look at your account and it's completely paid in full. What are you doing right now? What happened if you couldn't pay the debt the next day, all of a sudden it's zero, I mean completely wiped out clean. It's, you have no debt in that account. Would you restart your computer just to make sure? <laughs> Pull it back up, just make sure it did not, you know. Wait a minute, I saw that yesterday. I have, I have such debt, I'm in trouble. I couldn't pay this, I don't have the money. And all of a sudden you call. I, I don't owe anything? No, no, sir. You're completely paid up. It's been paid off. It's all done. You have no bill. Thank you so much for you know, using our services. Thank you. We love you here from Visa. How much more are you going to think about that debt after that day? How much more are you going to think about the debt that is no longer there the next day or the next day or the next day or the next day? Zero. All you can do is praise and tell everybody about it. You won't believe what happened. It's a miracle. You, I can't even explain it. And that's what Jesus, and this is what Peter's saying to us. That's what Paul was saying to us. You are so indebted with sin and guilt, the weight was so heavy you couldn't even breathe some days. You didn't even know how you were going to have the hope to continue. And then one day, you turned your life over to Jesus because he paid for all of your sin on the cross and your debt has been wiped clean. All of it. All your sins, your past, your present, your future, all the guilt has been wiped clean. Debt free. Let me ask you a question. When that happens on that day when you give your life to Jesus and you now know 
that you're debt free because Jesus paid for it, what are you going to do? Two things, right? Praise God. It's a miracle. I can't believe this happened to me. This is amazing. I can't wait to tell everybody about it. You wouldn't tell everybody about your debt, would you? Oh, no. You don't tell anyone about your debt. You hide that secret. But when you're debt-free, you're the first one to say, oh, I'm debt-free. I know I hear you over there with your car payment and your house payment and your, your, this payment and that little Zale payment and all this and your 20 credit cards you're so proud of and it's weighing you down. You're sitting there going, I have none of that. You're praising. You're, you're, you're amazing. This is amazing. But not only would you be doing that, you should not even be thinking about your past sins or guilt any longer either. You shouldn't be pondering on that anymore. The debt is gone. Did you catch that? Did the Spirit of God catch that for some of you? Because some of you constantly dwell on your past mistakes and failures and sins and guilt. It's condemnation from Satan himself that is not from God. He has set you debt free. Are you with me? Now focus on the celebration of what Christ has done. He's made you debt free. For some of you, that was the first thing and the only thing you have been debt free. But we should be debt free. Why? If not, we're going to be slaves to the lender. We'll be a slave to this world and to our flesh. And Jesus, through Peter, is saying to us, you need to commit yourselves to him. You need to commit your bodies to him. Why? Because he hung on that tree. He hung on that wood for you having died to the sins and taken the sins of the world and wiped them out. And it's by his stripes, by his beatings, by those crown of thorns on his, on his head. It's the stripes on his back. It's just beating him to the past of recognition, the scripture says. That is what was needed to be paid of to take away your debt and my debt. And notice here in verse 25... For you were like sheep going astray. The wolves were ready to eat you up. You were ready, you're just one step away of falling in over the cliff or into the hole and can't get out. And guess what? You have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. The shepherd is the protector and the provider the, the overseer is the one who manages and oversees your life and protects you. Who bore my sins on his body on the tree and took my debts and paid them for me. And now I no longer have debt. I am free. May that also be you. I pray today is the day that you would recognize as a believer you're free by the grace of God. But if you're listening to my voice 
and you haven't given Jesus Christ your life over to Jesus Christ and accept the fact that he paid for your payment of your debt, your sin debt, today, ask Jesus Christ to come into your life as your Savior and forgive you of your sins. Make that your earnest cry today and be set free and forgiven. Amen.